0: The Secret Church Podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For the Secret Church 17 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC17. This is Secret Church 17, Episode 2. Ready? You're not pulling a eudicus yet, are you? All right, come on, here we go. All right. First question Is the Bible divine or did humans create it? So, this is one of the longer questions because it's really the foundation for the others. So, who is the author of this book? Is it God or just a bunch of people like us? And the key word that we'll use a lot here is canon. So, generally defined that word as an authoritative list of books accepted as Holy Scripture. So, the canon of the Bible. Is 66 books. 39 classified as the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. So a huge question is, who decided these 66 books are the word of God? Did the church create the canon? In other words, did people just make all this up? You look in history, you see recognition of the Old Testament as of the first century in three divisions. So Josephus, first century Jewish historian wrote, we have but 22 books containing the history of all time, books that are justly believed in. And of these five are the books of Moses, which comprise the law and its earliest traditions from the creation of mankind down to his death, from the death of Moses to the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, the successor of Xerxes, the prophets who succeeded Moses, wrote the history of the events that occurred in their own time, in 13 books. The remaining four documents comprise hymns to God and practical precepts to men. So a total of 39 books recognizes the Old Testament in a way that was final or complete. That's what I mean by historic completion here. These specific books were recognized by the Jewish people as the Word of God. People saw them as such. They stood on them as such even when it cost them. Josephus writes how firmly we have given credit to those books of our own nation is evident by what we do. For doing so many ages as have already passed, no one has been so bold as either to add anything to them or take anything from them or to make any change in them. But it becomes natural to all Jews immediately and from their very birth to esteem those books to contain divine doctrines and to persist in them, and if occasion be, willing to die for them. And if, for it is no new thing for our captives, many of them in numbers and frequently in time, to be seen to endure racks and deaths of all kinds upon the theaters, that they may not be obliged to say one word against our laws and the records that contain them. So, people. Jewish people standing for those books as the word of God. And then you have recognition of the New Testament that came about over the course of the next couple of centuries. So church historian J.N.D. Kelly writes, By gradual stages, the church, both in East and West, arrived at a common mind as to its sacred books. The first official document, which prescribes the 27 books of our New Testament as a lone canonical, having that authority, is Athanasius' Easter letter for the year 3367. But the process was not everywhere complete until at least a century and a half later. And you see that in this quote from Athanasius right there. So, did a bunch of, the question is then, did a bunch of Jewish people and then some church leaders after them just get together and say, all right, we need a Bible, so what books do we want to include? And these are the books that won out, these 66 books. So, did the church, i.e., uh, did people come up with, create the canon, or did the canon create the church? In other words, did people decide what books should have authority to Scripture, or did God decide that, and through the canon of Scripture, define His people? This is where I love this quote from J.I. Packer about the New Testament canon specifically. Packer said, the church no more gave us the New Testament canon than Sir Isaac Newton gave us the force of gravity. God gave us gravity by His work of creation, and similarly, He gave us the New Testament canon by inspiring the individual books that make it up so how how did we get these 66 books specifically defined as the bible and the answer i want to show you in history and in the bible is that canonicity was revealed by god so god revealed what books should be seen as his authoritative word and he did it in such a way that canonicity was recognized by man so god revealed it and his people recognized it so how did that happen how did that happen well I'm glad you asked. So the canon revealed by God, the Bible itself is clear, that we cannot know God unless God reveals himself to us. So John 3 there, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. 1 Corinthians 2, the last part of that passage that I put in your notes, Paul specifically speaks about the Holy Spirit, saying, who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So only the spirit of God, 1 Corinthians 2 teaches, is able to know the thoughts of God. So if we're going to know the thoughts of God, he's got to make those thoughts known to us by his spirit Carl Henry, one of the greatest theologians of the 20th 20th century, wrote a tome on God, revelation, and authority, multi-volume work. And he said, all merely human affirmations about God curl into a question mark. We cannot spy out the secrets of God by obtrusive curiosity. Not even theologians of a technological era, not even Americans with their skill in probing the surface of the moon have any special radar for penetrating the mysteries of God's being and ways. Apart from God's initiative, God's act, God's revelation, no confident basis exists for God talk. So we've got to see from the start that revelation is God's communication. Revelation is God's communication to people, to humans of truth they need to know in order to properly relate to him. And this is foundational. H.T. McDonald said the idea of God making himself known is not so much a biblical idea as it is the biblical idea. The whole point of the Bible is that God has chosen to make himself known to us. Now, the Bible is not the only way God reveals himself to us. Think with me about two categories of communication from God to us. So first is general communication. General communication. Think here in three primary spheres. One, in nature. So the words of Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. So God reveals Himself in nature. Second, in history. Everything that's happening in history is happening under the governance of God. Job 12, 23, He makes nations great. He destroys them. He enlarges nations, leads them away. Isaiah 10 recounts how God's sovereign over the work of nations. Daniel 2 is beautiful. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings. He sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise, knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. So God reveals himself in nature, in history, and in, third, humanity. Meaning, God has put a spiritual impulse inside every person. an Acts 17, like longing to worship something, that impulse comes from God. And even more than that, God has put in every single purpose, person a sense of morality. So a sense of right and wrong that's etched on every one of our hearts. There's a sense of ought engraved on every one of our hearts. We see good, we see evil, and we instinctively know that we ought to do good and not evil. That instinct, that sense of ought, is no accident. It's given to us by God. Romans 2 makes that clear when it talks about our conscience. So in this way, nature, history, humanity, our own hearts reveal different things to us about God, about His glory, about His governance, and about His moral essence. So God generally communicates about Himself in All three of those spheres in two primary senses. So think about the what and the to whom of God's general communication. First, what do we know about God from nature, history, and what's written on our hearts? The answer scripture gives is that we know universal knowledge about God through his general communication, universal knowledge, knowledge concerning his existence over us and our sinfulness before him. So think about nature. This is exactly what Romans 1 uh, teaches uh, in the passage that I had above. God reveals himself clearly to us through creation. His internal powers and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what is a so that men are without excuse. Although we knew God, that neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but the thing became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So the whole point there is that God's revealed himself in creation to all people, and we have turned aside from the one true God who created all things and worshiped other gods, namely ourselves instead. And then Romans 2 talked about the sense of right and wrong that God's put on our hearts. He's revealed something generally about himself to us. He is a moral God and something general about us, that we are immoral people who do wrong things, all of us. So general communication provides that kind of universal knowledge about him and even about us in a way that, so here's the to whom, in a way that has universal accessibility to all. In other words, there's no person in the world who doesn't have God's general revelation of himself in these ways. The knowledge of God and general communication is available to all people at all times and all places. All people have knowledge of God through these spheres, through nature, history, humanity, in such a way that Romans 1 says all people are without excuse. This sense of right and wrong is written on every single one of our hearts. Which then leads to one primary effect of general revelation. This is so key. What's the effect of God's general communication in our lives? God's general revelation leads to overall condemnation to follow this. This is the argument of Romans 1, 2, and 3, culminating in verses 19 and 20. In creation, history, humanity, God reveals that he exists. God reveals that we have turned aside from him and worshiped other gods instead, which means that we all stand as sinners before God. That reality is established by God totally apart from his word. God's general communication reveals who he is, how we've turned aside from him, and as a result, general revelation leads to overall condemnation. We're sinners. It establishes that we're sinners before a holy God. Think about why that's so important. Think about this, because if all we have is general communication from God, if that's all we've got, what's in nature and history and our makeup as humans, then we stand before God condemned and we have nothing else from Him. End of story. God exists. We've turned away from him. General revelation leads to overall condemnation. That's all. If general communication is all God gives, then you and I and every person in the world and in history stands hopeless before a holy God forever, period. Which is why we need special communication or more specific communication. And the good news is God has given it. And three primary spheres, one in history. So don't think just history in general like we talked about above, but specifically in the way God in history has worked to save people from their sin. Starting way back in Genesis, really in his promise in Genesis chapter 3, but here I put Genesis 12, when God first promised to bless Abraham as the father of the people of Israel. Then after Abraham, Moses, the way God revealed himself to the Israelites, delivering them out of Egypt, parting the Red Sea, and other various ways throughout history, God has worked to draw people back to himself. That history, of course, culminating in the incarnation, God becoming man in the person of Jesus Christ. So it's no coincidence that when John introduces Jesus, he says, in the beginning was the... Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word John's talking about there is Jesus. He's the revelation of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So how do we know who God is? We look at Jesus. He is God's revelation. I remember talking with, one day with a girl, a student, who said to me, I would believe in God if he would just come down and show himself to me. And I said, I'm so glad you said that, because he has And so, start talking about Jesus. This is John 14, 9. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus, Revelation 19, 13, is the word of God. He is the revelation of God. So, God has revealed himself specifically in history, in his son, and then in speech. So, follow this. God has spoken in different ways. In verbal speech. So, this is how the world was created. Through the spoken word of God. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Creation fashioned by his word. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth. All their host. Psalm 33, 6. Now think about God's verbal speech in two ways. One, it's often direct. So in Genesis chapter 2, God spoke directly to man, said, You may surely not eat, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's special revelation. God's direct speech. And I put other examples from the Old and New Testaments there. So you had got direct speech, and then there's indirect speech, meaning God spoke to people through others, namely prophets. Deuteronomy 18, 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So the picture there, God would speak his word to his people through a prophet. God says the same thing to Jeremiah. Behold, I put my words in your mouth. Ezekiel says over and over again, the word of the Lord came to me and other prophets as well. So you have verbal speech, direct and indirect, and then God speaks in written form. So think about 10 commandments in Exodus, for example. Exodus 31 references the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Then you got Joshua who wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And you see other instances in the Old and New Testaments referring to God's written revelation, which is uniquely helpful because it enables all kinds of things. It enables personal study, It enables personal study so God's people can take his written revelation revelation, and study it. They can teach it. They can talk about it. They can write it on the doorposts of their houses and gates to remember it. Written revelation enables personal study, public study, like we see in 2 Chronicles 34. When Josiah reads the book of the law before the people, then he leads them to commit to obey it. And obviously that's not just possible at a certain point in time because it's written. Such revelation enables continual examination on a regular basis every day, every year. In the case of Deuteronomy 13, 31, this passage I put in here, a feast that happened every seven years. They'd pull out the word of God on a particular topic. Written revelation enables Continual examination and clear explanation of that revelation like we see in Nehemiah chapter 8. Even like we're doing right now with this word in front of us. Written revelation enables this to happen. And then written revelation enables ongoing edification. So... Ongoing edification, things written down at one point in time have power to edify far beyond that point in time. Romans 15, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction today, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So written revelation enables all those things, and it ensures precision. In other words, there's no question what God has said when he's written it down. This is no game of telephone when you just whisper to the next person in their ear, and next person, next person, next person, and then you hope the original message is preserved. No, this is written down in a way that ensures precision as well as propagation, meaning it can be passed on to others, and preservation, meaning it can be preserved for others. That's why the Bible ends with these words. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city which are described in this book God intends for his word to be passed on exactly as He has given it and he's written it down for that purpose so just to recap when it comes to God's special or more specific communication you have three primary spheres history like redemption history how God is saving people from their sins the incarnation and you have speech verbal and written And this special communication comes in two primary senses. So think about what we talked about earlier with general, the what and the to whom, but think about the difference here. So with special communication, the what is specific knowledge about God. So not just general knowledge about God that He exists, that's what general communication does. This is specific communication about how God has provided redemption for us. I put Exodus 3 and 6 as examples of how God specifically spoke to Moses, promised that He would deliver the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. So there's specific knowledge about how God redeems His people, and specific knowledge about how we can be reconciled to Him, how sinners can be made right with God. Even more specifically, how we can enjoy relationship with Him. In John 15, Jesus says, if you're Abide in me and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you may bear much fruit, prove to me my disciples. As the, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So abide in my love. So how do we abide in a love relationship with the God of the universe? By letting His word abide in our hearts. So we're talking about specific knowledge about God revealed to whom. And this is the picture, we see special blessing from God. And this is a big difference when compared with general revelation, because general revelation, if you'll remember, is universally accessible to all in creation, in history, on the human heart. But this special, more specific communication is accessible to particular persons at particular times in particular places. Think about it. God didn't reveal himself to everybody through a burning bush. It was just Moses at a certain time in a certain place. God didn't speak to everybody like he spoke to certain prophets. God didn't speak to all people like he did the people of Israel in the Old Testament. So we have this picture in the Bible of specific special communication from God that has one primary effect. It's the whole point of special revelation. Remember the effect of general revelation. It leads to overall condemnation. General revelation only sufficient to show us that God exists and we've sinned against him. We need something more and that's where special revelation comes in. Special revelation leads to the opportunity for salvation. In other words, special revelation makes it possible for sinners to know how we can be saved from our sins. Sinners to know how they can be reconciled to God, how we can enjoy relationship with God. Special revelation is necessary for salvation. We cannot be saved from our sins apart from communication from God about how to be saved from our sins. So we'll come back to that in a minute. But for now, here's the bottom line. Both general and special communication revelation. We cannot know God unless God reveals himself to us. right, the reality is God is infinite. We are finite. His greatness is unsearchable, Psalm 145. His understanding is beyond measure, Psalm 147. The depth and riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable is our judgments. How inscrutable his ways. God's infinite. We are not. We are finite, and God is holy, and we're sinners. We can't see him in our sinfulness. If we have any hope of knowing God, of seeing God, then we need a divine word. We need God to speak to us, to help us know him, to help us see him, which means we need a divine spirit. We reference that earlier from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God and follow this now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God we need God through his word and the power of his spirit to reveal himself to us Now, Scripture is clear that God's revelation is clear. In other words, God is not lacking in his communication ability. So I have severe lacks in my communication ability. I think about, I remember when I was in seminary, I was in an interpersonal communication uh, skills class. And it was all talking about like reflective listening and how to communicate better with people. And so when they say something to you, you kind of show that you understand what they say by repeating back. So... I do not know I was early on in marriage, so we, I, I went home that day, and uh, I was working when my wife got home, and she comes in, and uh, she's like, how's your day? And so we start, so I was like, all right, I'm going to work on this. I'm going to put aside my work. I'm going to give her my full attention. So I said, how was your day? She said, well, my day was fine. And I said, so I hear you saying that your day was fine. <laughs> she's like, Yeah. And then it's like, well, tell me about it. And she tells me a couple things. So I hear you saying that this and this and this stuff. And she's like, what's what's your problem? (laughs) I'm sorry. I just went back to work and talking. So uh, anyway, so we have trouble in our communication. God does not have trouble. He has spoken clearly and he's spoken loudly. I love this quote from Carl Henry. Divine revelation palpitates with human surprise like a fiery bolt of lightning and unexpectedly zooms toward us and scores a direct hit like an earthquake that suddenly shakes and engulfs us. It somersaults our private thoughts to abrupt awareness ultimate destiny. By the unannounced intrusion of its omnipotent actuality, divine revelation lifts the present into the eternal and unmasks our pretensions of human omnicompetence as if an invisible concord had burst the sound barrier overhead. It drives us to ponder whether the other world has finally pinned us to the ground for life and death response, confronting us with a sense of cosmic arrest. It makes us ask whether the end of our world is at hand and propels us unasked before the judge and lord of the universe like some piercing air raid siren it sends us scurrying from life's preoccupations and warns us that no escape remains if we neglect the only sure sanctuary i wish i could have written that that's so good so god's revelation is clear that's that's the point so the problem is our reception is clouded the bible talks about how our eyes are blind and our hearts are hard our hearts are hard because of sin we're finite sinners trying to understand an infinitely holy God. And as a result, we need God in His mercy to reveal Himself in His Word by His Spirit to us if we have any hope of knowing Him. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at Radical.net.